Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. The segment is brought to you by BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I. Check them out for facilities and property management training. It's BOMI.org. Well, today we have another great show for you. We're going to let the Fed's view on commercial real estate. We have Brian Bailey here, and he's the subject matter expert for the Fed in commercial real estate. And Brian is here in Studio One. Brian, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me back. It's great to be here. Now, do you have to give us a disclaimer? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, nothing starts without the disclaimer, right? <laughs> That's right. So, yes, I mean, these are my views and not necessarily those of my colleagues at the Atlanta Fed or the, or the Board of Governors. But I'm here to do it again. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. And I like I've seen you speak at uh, events all over the country. You do a great job and it's very formative. And uh, we look forward to uh, to your view today. And uh, I think one of the things that's on my audience's mind is kind of where are we with the economy today and the cycle? You know, how do you how do you feel about it where we are today? Feeling good. I mean, it's been a while since we could say that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly. The numbers are, are robust. The you know consumer sentiment seems good, and so I think that you know we're we're in a in a good spot. I mean, you look at unemployment uh, was three point seven percent, which is uh, you know it's been forty something years since we were at that level. I think it was nineteen sixty nine. Applause now, hey. absolutely, you bet. We need it. Um, you know, with all that we've come through. I mean, GDP. Uh, in the second quarter of 2018 was 4.2%. So certainly, you know, some very robust numbers. And then, you know, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now Mm -hmm. forecast, um, you know, the estimate is is 4.1%. For the for the third quarter, so I mean, certainly, you know, some 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 really good news. The economy continues to add jobs in spite of you know Hurricane Florence, which certainly um, you know was a, was a significant event in the Carolinas. Um, you know, those folks have have. Uh, you know, certainly seen, you know, devastation. Our thoughts are with them. But certainly, you know, the economy as a whole uh, seems to be pretty well, doing pretty well. Yeah. So uh, I know people like to use uh, baseball analogy here and ask about <laughs> the inning. Uh, what inning are we in in this cycle? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I've only heard that just a few times. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and, I, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, you look back to the economy and you know we've we've talked about that. I've heard that question now for probably three years. And you know the the numbers uh, as far as the economy, unemployment, GDP continue to strengthen. So I mean you know for two or three years I've heard people say, oh we're in the seventh, or we're in the eighth, or we're in extra innings. Yeah. But I mean it, it's certainly at this point you know it seems that you know the numbers are are you know continuing to get momentum so i'm not sure that i can give you you know an exact uh, an exact inning that we're in yeah <laughs> come on now uh. <laughs> i, I want to know when the game's over <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a question uh, on a lot of people's minds these days well how do you feel about uh, the banks today and and the regulatory changes that the banks have had in related to the economy and commercial real estate right well, I think, you know, first of all, the banks are much better capitalized than what we saw in the mid-2000s. So certainly that is a good dynamic. Some of that brought upon by the regulation 
that was put in place because of you know the downturn and the associated issues. So I think you know, certainly better better capitalized. Um, you know I think I think you know some of that regulation forced the institutions to take um, you know some time and kind of think about you know some of the lending dynamics and to better understand some of the risks that could potentially be uh, you know evolving in, in an evolving economy um, and and so certainly I think that they've taken their time in some respects and and spent more time better understanding that those risks so I think we're in a in a, in a time where they're better better capitalized um, you know certainly I think they've taken the time and understood uh, some of the dynamics associated with lending. At the same point, we've got new dynamics uh, emerging. We've got the non-bank lending crowd, um, which has grown uh, very quickly, and certainly that is shaping or having an influence on some of what the lenders are doing. And you know, one of the things when we talked to a number of banks earlier this year, one of their concerns was over leverage. And so, you know, the non-bank group. You know, certainly is is bringing in an aspect of, of greater of enhanced competition, and so we continue to kind of watch that dynamic. Um, uh, you know, as as the economy evolves, certainly the good news is you know we have a very solid economy right now. How do you feel about how much debt the real estate bank debt the banks have right now? Well, I mean, I think that it's been you know manageable. My my question is is you know, as we get into, you know, potentially the later stages of this cycle, you know, do we see more and more uh, the greater influence of competition beginning to influence leverage, mm -hmm. beginning to influence uh, the structure and terms of, of the loans. And certainly, you know, that's, that's a question because, you know, that dynamic didn't play out well in, you know, 2006 and 2007 um, when we were later in the cycle and, and, and leverage uh, and, and underwriting became, became uh, pretty loose. And so I think that, you know, we have to continue to be aware of that dynamic, especially now with the rise of the kind of non-bank lending crowd. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm a practitioner and I'm helping clients get commercial loans all the time. And it certainly seems to me that um, underwriting is not relaxed, uh, that the banks are, are very stringent and careful. But you're on the other side of it, kind of making sure the banks don't get in trouble, I guess, at the Fed. How do you feel about where underwriting is today for banks? Well, let's let's push it back. I mean, some mm -hmm. some data that we have uh, that's that's available to the public. Mm -hmm. You look at the senior loan officer survey that's done by the board of governors, mm -hmm. and they survey you know a number of lending officers across the uh, across the nation every quarter. And so you've seen you know tightening in multifamily. You've seen tightening in the C and D, the construction development lending space. At the same point, you're seeing loosening in our highly technical term of non-farm, non-res, which you know is, is essentially is you know properties like we're in today, you know mm -hmm. suburban office buildings that mm -hmm. are that are that are leased, mm -hmm. um, and so and so you see um, you know in, in some instances a loosening in maybe properties that are stabilized. Um, okay, so we kind of mitigate that risk in areas where there may be a little bit more risk. If you look at C and D, certainly that this, the construction development lending arena, you know there is more risk around those loans, and so certainly you know maybe the banks tightening a little bit isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
you look at multifamily, you know, if you've been downtown recently, which I'm sure you have, uh, you look at the amount of cranes that are up, not only here, but in almost every, every major MSA that I go to. There are cranes, you know, across the skyline and they're building mostly luxury multifamily. You know, my view is those dynamics right now are softening a little bit and we continue to build more. Um, I don't think it's, you know, the sky is falling, mm -hmm. but maybe it's not a bad thing that the banks are tightening up a little mm -hmm. bit on the luxury space. Um, on the affordable side, we know that most cities, there's a shortage right now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, trying, and, and the market really has to kind of try to figure that dynamic out right now, as uh, what I'm being told is, is that, uh, you know, between construction and land costs, you know, those projects are not quite financially, at, at, the, at the point of being financially feasible. Yeah. Well, let's talk about rates and uh, <clears throat> and the impact on, on the economy, real estate, treasuries uh, above 3%. You know, what's the impact there? I, and, and, I'm, and I've not heard this question. This question is new. If I can just interject a little <laughs> bit of humor. Uh, you know, I think it seems like we hear it every day, you know, mm -hmm. rates, rates, rates. You, you know, let's take just a step back. I mean, so today, or I think Friday, uh, the rates were uh, 323 mm -hmm. on the 10-year treasury. But if you take a step back and you say, gosh, you know, where were we 90 days ago? Really, the energy and the discussion was around the questions about, you know, is the yield curve going to invert? Is the short-term rate going to be more than the long-term rate? Because there is a relationship between the inversion of the yield curve and potentially a recession. And so 90 days ago, we had all this talk about the possibility of the yield curve inverting. Now, fast forward 90 days, and we have you know, the spread widening between you know, the 10-year treasury and the shorter term rates. And so in my mind, you know, it looks to me that the market is, is you know, acting you know, in, in kind of a, a normal, typical fashion. Um, you know, certainly the good news is, is that based on a lot of the positive economic news that we have, we're in an environment where you know rates can move up and you know real estate in general should not feel that dynamic terribly much because you would think in a growing economy that rents would be growing to offset uh, you know higher uh, debt costs etc yeah well I guess that's certainly what the owners hope that you know growth's still there and and I guess uh, in some cases really the lenders are kind of counting on as well right uh, in a wide growth because if they're they're looking at five years out uh, or so, I guess you've got to, most people would expect a little bit higher cap rate, right? Well, we need, I mean, we certainly need NOI growth because, mm -hmm. you know, from my point of view, you know, if the ec economy is sound, mm -hmm. you know, that should re uh, require more commercial real estate, the need yeah. for more commercial real estate. Yeah. And so certainly, you know, you would hope that as NOI is growing, that developers, um, are incentivized to take that entrepreneurial risk and build more buildings. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, you know, there is the potential for cap rates to go up, mm -hmm. and you certainly hope that uh, uh, you know, NOI is growing faster and offsets you know, some of that dynamic. Yeah, and I'd like to get your view. I'd like to take a short break, but Brian, we get back when I get your view on, on commercial real estate properties and, and performance and values, and also look at a couple of the various sectors. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. 
visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The excitement is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out for commercial real estate broker training. Today we're getting the Fed's view on commercial real estate. We have Brian Bailey here with us in Studio One. He's the subject matter expert on commercial real estate for the Atlanta Fed. And uh, Brian, I'd like to get your view on some of the sectors, you know, what's hot, what's not, I guess everything's sort of hot, I guess. Well, maybe some people think retail's not hot, but what, what is your outlook for some of the various sectors? And, and if you don't mind, since I mentioned retail, let's, let's start there. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I think retail, you know, tail of two cities. Um, you know, I mean, there's certainly a significant amount of retail that hasn't, f- you know, felt you know, the change in the in, in e-commerce. So, so, I mean, it's been, you know, business as usual. Um, at the same point, you know, the rate of change is accelerating. And if you look at consumer switching costs, they're probably the lowest in, in the retail d- dynamic. I mean, you can choose to go to your drugstore or your grocery store or a super center. I mean, you can go wherever um, and just make that change, you know, basically in, in the, you know, two minutes or five minutes or in the case of Atlanta, you know, the 20 minutes that you're in the car. Um, so, you know, that rate of change is accelerating faster and we're seeing that dynamic impacting certain types of retail property. Mm-hmm. So in some respects, I think that, you know, there's been a lot of energy in the press, maybe a little bit more. Um, than is warranted, but certainly a lot of retailers have been going bankrupt. And, you know, the rate of retail bankruptcies, retailer bankruptcies, has been at a rate that we we saw, you know, in 2010. So, and, and you contrast the economies with, uh, you know, 10% unemployment versus 37 today. So, you know, night and day as far as the economies are concerned, but certainly, um, you know, the the, uh, the dynamics continue to shift. I think, you know, but at the same point, I think it creates opportunity. I think there's a real opportunity in retail right now to take some of those struggling properties and, and potentially, you know, retenant them, change the mix, and, and probably going to something that, you know, more suits the, the consumer base. I mean, you think about it, we're aging, and so there's more opportunity in retail if you insert healthcare providers. Yeah. And that's that's really created a positive dynamic. I think if you look, you know, warehousing, certainly we're racing. We continue to race to develop that last mile capability. It's in, in my view, in a growth in a growth phase. At some point it comes out of the growth phase and it matures and then all of a sudden we have consolidation. But for today, you know, it's 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 growing, it's growing fast, and we continue to absorb almost all of the retail pardon me, all the warehousing that's being built which certainly is good news considering that we're building, you know, astronomical amounts right yeah. now. 
And let, let me get your view more on, on retail a little bit All right. because I agree with you. I think retail has a lot of opportunities and, and we're seeing a lot of retail property sell um, that we move around the southeast and a lot of internet resistant type type of tenants and experienced tenants. Um, but but let's be devil's advocate here for a moment. You know, you just talked about have record low unemployment, big consumer confidence, right? We're starting to see wage growth um, with so that I guess that's pretty good times, right? People's home values are going up. The stock market's doing well. So you would think that retail should really be booming right now. And I guess in a lot of places it is. But what does that mean for retail uh, if we do have a downturn in the economy? <laughs> You're asking me to get my crystal ball out. Oh, that's a scary. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about it. It's, it's, I mean, we could be doing the Snoopy dance right now as far as consumers having money and spending it, and right. you know. So I think I think you know the consumer is by and far you know in a better place mm -hmm. uh, than they were you know a number of years ago. At this at the same point. The rate of change is evolving faster, and the one thing you know we have to kind of add a new buzzword to our to our vocabulary. You know, we've focused on overbuilding, and we're very you know I think we're pretty adapted, saying hey, we see a bunch of cranes in the air, and this is potentially more risk. But at the same point, technology is allowing us to use real estate more efficiently. And so I think efficiency is going to be a pretty significant dynamic going forward. And so I think that right now, you know, you see the e-commerce providers are in some ways able to provide you know, uh, uh, the consumer what they want. They want home delivery. They want it, you know, fairly modestly priced. And so, you know, the e-commerce folks have identified that and are able to uh, fulfill that. At the same point, you look at malls, you know, mall is a magnet for traffic. And if, 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 if the same or less folks are going to the mall, then that's less opportunities for the folks, not only in the mall, but in the retail on the periphery to make sales. Um, the, you know, I, I wonder at some point, does that same dynamic begin to move and, and make itself apparent in grocery anchor retail? I mean, you think about it, it's a smaller model, but similar. And do the inline spaces begin to have less opportunities because there's less traffic? Um, you know, seeing a little bit of that dynamic beginning to play out. Um, but certainly, you know, food has been, because of the perishability uh, uh, dynamic, has been a very tough, uh, tough uh, industry to crack for the e-commerce folks. But you see a lot of energy behind it right now. Yeah. Well, I agree. I, I, think, I love retail, and I think it's usually really good real estate. I love the change in use and uh, aspects of it and, uh, uh, and even building other types of properties on these retail, you know, the, the multifamily and hotels and things like that. And you mentioned efficiency of using commercial real estate. It's more and more important. So let's get your view on the office market. There's certainly been a lot of talk about efficiency there and, and companies using less space and what do you, what do you guys think about office? Kind of, kind of mixed bag right now. I mm -hmm. think that, um, you know, from 1984 to today, uh, the density per worker has come down from roughly 250 feet to about 210 square feet per worker. So certainly you've seen that dynamic come down. Um, you know, you see some of the tech companies, you know, and their footprint is about 100 square feet per worker. Uh, I talked to an architect in Miami and he said he was doing some planning for 46 square feet per worker. 
uh, and, I, and I'm like, wow, you know, that kind of that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Uh, you know, that may be like you're on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and you know, maybe and, and, and there are some indications that maybe that pendulum has swung too far. And, and needs to begin to swing back a little bit to find kind of the balance because as you get you know very high dense you know there are some studies that are showing that there are some losses in productivity so we need to maybe find the balance a little bit we see maybe that pendulum beginning to swing back a little bit I you know I think you know CBD office you know has has run very well because we've had an influx of folks down into the urban core suburban has languished a little bit up until the last you know year or so basically and all of a sudden i think that there's been some life in the suburban space and i think part of that is you know we're starting to see the millennials and and maybe they aren't you know uh, uh permanently attached to the urban core uh, and they're willing to move back to the burbs a little bit. So I think that you know there there is some dynamics that is positive in in the suburban space. Uh, and I think the CBD office space, um, you know, will 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 continue to to do well. Yeah, I do too. And let me ask you about you mentioned efficiency, and part of efficiency of using commercial real estate is also flexibility. So whether it's retail, uh, somewhat we're seeing in that, especially because of FASB lease accounting potentially having tenants that want shorter leases, but certainly in office, we're seeing flexibility be a big deal for tenants, you know, with the WeWork type of thing and, and shorter leases. So, you know, when, when we go to lenders and we show uh, these short-term tenants um, that, you know, maybe have a very, bill can have a very good history, but they look at the leases like, wow, you don't have a lease over three years here. Yeah, well, you know, is that a box that is hard to uncheck for banks? when they have these short leases because these tents want flexibility? Right. And it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. Certainly I can't speak for all banks because yeah. the risk profile is different across the spectrum. Sure. Certainly I think that, you know, the traditional mindset has been, you know, the longer term lease we have, you know, the more safety there is in that. Yeah. Now, it is interesting to me with, you know, some of the co-working dynamics because, you know, it's done phenomenally well in a, in a, in a site in the part of the cycle that's been on the upturn. Mm -hmm. So, so kind of, you know, a rising tide may float all boats, though the market has, has, you know, uh, given it significant credence, but the laces are very short. Um, and then the lease between the coworker, the co-working firm and the landlord, you know, tends to be structured with a letter of credit that burns off pretty quickly. So in my view, it seems like there's the potential for you know the co-working firm to lose a lot of tenants pretty quickly since their leases are shorter duration and then because that letter of credit burns off the potential for the landlord to get that space back from the co-working firm pretty quickly so you know really it's a it's a dynamic that's done phenomenally well on the upside but not really tested on the downside in a down, in a down economy. So, you know, I, I have, have some questions about, you know, how does that work? But yes, I think that, you know, the banks are better off with, you know, longer term, with longer term leases. Um, you know, I understand flexibility is certainly uh, a dynamic that is, that is wanted in the marketplace. At the, at the same point, you know, tenant, TI is incredibly expensive right now. Um, the other thing kind of, you know, balancing that out is move costs. 
move costs are, are you know incredibly expensive as well. Construction costs. Const yeah, absolutely. Yes. To, to build out these spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, I think it's kind of interesting dynamic if if the FASB lease accountings, which causes tenants to have to put these leases on their balance sheet, um, and if they ha if that tends to make some of these tenants want to have shorter leases. Uh, and then you have this flexibility where some of these tenants may want shorter leases anyway. Uh, because of that, like I've sold three office buildings recently that had a lot of these types of tenants. Buildings had a lot of history, but one of the challenges you know, up front was, hey, we, this isn't going to check a box uh, of some long-term leases. And I think we potentially, because of all these factors combined, see more of that. And I think, uh, you know, are the, are the banks... Uh, can they get comfortable with that somehow if it's the new dynamic? Well, I think you know, taking a step back, but, but certainly from an acquisition or purchase perspective, certainly harder to do the underwriting when you have shorter leases, not to mention the banks, which you know, have underwriting that they have to do as well. Yeah. So I think you know, it's definitely a, 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 a you know, dynamic that will continue to play out, but certainly there's gonna be a struggle in getting um, our arms around how to, you know, how to properly underwrite that, whether it's the marketplace or whether it's the banking environment. Right, right. All right, we're gonna take a short break and we get back and ask Brian about the future. Have to look into his crystal ball, right? <laughs> and tell us what he feels about the future moving forward. So stay with us, I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or give me a call. Well, today we're talking about the Fed's view on commercial real estate. We have Brian Bailey here in Studio One. He's a subject matter expert on commercial real estate for the Fed. And Brian, we're talking about some of the underwriting and some of the uh, sectors and things. So. You know, one thing I've noticed when I interview economists and um, analysts, and I ask about how long we're going to have these good times, no one seems to want to go past like 18 or 24 months. You know, how does that sound to you? I mean, I, I want it to last longer. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, unfortunately, I left my crystal ball at home, oh. Michael. So I'm going to join. You know, I'm going to join that crowd. That's, yeah. But I, I, I think you know, it's it's fascinating to me if we take a step back, mm -hmm. and and we look back, you know, two years. You know, we had a number of folks saying, "Gosh, I think 2018, the end of 18 or 19, is is when we're going to start hitting, you know, a little bit of the chop." And yet, you look today, and the numbers are very, very strong. 
So, I mean, I, I would just say, you know, you know, their crystal ball is probably good as mine and really as good as yours in that, you know, I mean, it tends to look two years out and then we kind of, things get, you know, much more uncertain and, and nobody really knows. Well, my crystal ball, ball might be a little rosy colored, <laughs> you know. I, I imagine with the Fed, yours might be a little more, you know, cautious. I've, uh, I've burned mine out. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're right, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, the numbers are great. GDP, uh, unemployment's growth, uh, the stock market's great. Um, you know, consumer confidence is good. Small mm -hmm. business uh, are positive about the future. Uh, what could be headwinds? What, what could cause the tide to change? Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I, I would just have to take it back and, and you know, look at, um, you know, the question of, you know, from the, from the banking perspective, which is where, you know, my expertise is, you know, do we, do we get ahead of ourselves? Mm -hmm. um, do we see, you know, over leverage? I mean, you know, we've, we've kind of hit this bottom uh, as far as rates are concerned, and now we're in a rising rate environment. And have we properly, you know, prepared ourselves, you know, for the implications of that dynamic? You know, uh, some things that could go wrong. I mean, these are big what ifs. But I mean, you think about it. I mean, you know, two or three years ago, um, you know, you had a lot of money that was low, you know, low rates. Um, and I think that some of those, you know, and, and, and I'm a little back up, you know, some of that rate, some of that money was, was very low rate, had low, low rates attached. And did those institutions go long with that money? Because, I mean, if you're looking today, if, if the 10 year is 323 and they went, you know, 4% on that money, it won't take much, you know, for them to, to be below the yield on the 10 year treasury. Um, you know, okay. I mean, potentially over leverage, potentially valuation, potentially, um, you know, structure could begin to become a problem if you get, you know, a lot of over, comp you know, competitive firms and, and they basically tell their customers, hey, we are so interested in making this loan, you just name your terms. Okay, I, you know, that, that doesn't work terribly well in my book. I'm kind of wondering, how do you make money if you just say, name your own terms? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think some of the other things, too, um, you, you know, we tend to kind of come up with, uh, you, know, you know, different financial products, whether it's derivatives or, uh, you know, collateralized loan obligations or it was the CDOs in the past, in the mid-2000s that had, you know, significant problems. You know, and, and have we, you know, a, appropriately gauged the risk around some of those new products or, um, you know, do they begin to kind of get wound up and, and spin out of control at some point? Yeah. Well, how do you feel about inflation? It seems like we've seen, you know, home prices go up. It seems like whenever I go buy anything, it seems like it's that expensive. You're kidding me. Construction, construction <laughs> prices going up. And the, the Fed, I'm sure, is, watches inflation, right? What, what do you feel about inflation? I mean, we spend a significant amount yeah. of time, yeah. you know, watching inflation. Yeah. You know, as the commercial real estate guy, you know, I can't tell you mm -hmm. outside of my area of expertise, mm -hmm. you know, you know how inflation is doing. I defer to our president, mm -hmm. you know, who who you know, spends his full-time job looking at inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, right now, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a level of comfort 
mm-hmm. from his perspective as far as you know where inflation is and and because of some of the robust dynamics in the economy we have you know an opportunity to to kind of you know move toward you know a, a rate and interest rate that's you know environment that's neutral yeah what about tariffs? What do you feel about tariffs and the impact on the economy and commercial real estate? I mean, that's a that's a that's a you know tough dynamic. Yeah. I mean, we see you know we begin to see some of of the uh, impacts in pricing. You've seen steel go up and and uh, you know some of some of the impact, which you know we already had costs rising at a pretty good clip, yeah. and it had created a headwind in a number of industries. So certainly, you know, and we talked about office space, you know, that's one of them. I mean, as you go into the CBD, you know, the higher the tower, the more steel that it needs. Mm-hmm. And so certainly I think that it's created a headwind on, you know, some potential new construction of, of that class and classes that need, you know, significant amounts of steel. So on one hand, a good dynamic because we've limited the potential of oversupply, at the same point, you know, you you want a, a, a kind of a balanced market where you know rents are not growing you know significantly because of you know potential shortages of new product. Um, you know, as as our president has said, um, you know, trade you know trade wars very difficult to win. Um, you know, we've not seen the full impact. Of 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 what you know what tariffs are going to be levied. A- additionally, we've not seen probably the full impact because the ones that have been levied are so new on the supply chain. Yeah. And speaking of full impact, have we really seen the full impact of the tax cuts? I mean, uh, have as I know they've kind of hit what this year, beginning of the year. But is there more to come? Are there more benefits from that? Could that maybe potentially prolong our the good times? I mean, there's a there's a there's a very tough question to yeah, answer, but yeah. I, I mean, I think that you know we still have some time for the full impact of those tax cuts. Mm-hmm. To you know, certainly in the short term, it's put more money in a number of people's pocket, which has been good for the economy as far as a spending dynamic. Um, but I think that yes, longer term, you know, we we don't know the full the full benefits of of, of that legislation. Yeah. Well, Brian, what would you leave our audience with related to commercial real estate uh, moving forward? I mean, I think you know it's a, it's an exciting time. I mean, you have a very good economy. You have uh, dynamics in the commercial real estate space that, for all purposes, are healthy. I mean, we might have a little bit of uh, oversupply dynamic in luxury multifamily. We might have a little bit of softness right now in some forms of retail. You know, the rate of change is changing pretty fast, so something to stay aware of. I think, you know, you know, my view is we continue to watch, you know, the capital dynamic right now. And, you know, certainly there is a lot of capital available. And certainly that has implications for debt. That may make debt cheaper for a lot of, you know, for a lot of, of uh folks who need loans in the commercial real estate space may in the short term benefit them because of competition, overcompetition. They may be able to get structure and terms that they've not been able to get. At the same point, you know, you have to watch longer term, you know, are those, you know, right for your situation. I mean, I think we saw some banks that advanced, and, and, and as an example, you know, you go back to the mid-2000s, and we, saw, we had some banks that advanced too much debt. 
which created when the economy turned an over leverage situation for that borrower. And so I think, you know, trying to right size, you know, the amount of debt and those terms, you know, for your situation is key at this point. Yeah. And like you said earlier, though, I think uh, the debt market was a lot different then. It seems like the underwriting was too relaxed, uh, you know, and, and we helped a lot of borrowers and lenders and banks with troubled loans and REO and selling notes and doing handling workouts. And um, there was a lot of mess created there. I think there was there was some sloppiness in the loans that were being done and, you know, in, in the in the eight, in the 90s. And I mean, I, I think it's or uh, in the early 2000s before the 09 debacle. Right. And, you know, we saw some of the banks, what they had and didn't have in the, in the underwriting. And it was like, really? But I don't think it seems like it's been a lot different. It seems like it's really been cleaned up. So I was at a conference the other day and they were arguing that this happens every 10 years, <laughs> yeah. period. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I can't I can't quite buy that. Yes, there are some kind of historical omens that, yes, we, we hit, you know, mid 2000s and we hit the 90s. And so but I, I do think that, you know, from the bank's perspective, you know, the regulation has helped them kind of, you know, take a moment and assess risk better. I think they are better capitalized. At the same point, you know, the risk change and, yeah. and some of the risk is coming, you know, from the from the non-bank sector in my mind right now. Yeah. And it seems like, too, they understand real estate better. You know, I think when I, when I look back uh, before 09, it's like, and I looked at some of the loans and some of the projects that they did, I was like, they didn't really understand real estate very well. And as we came and they started owning real estate, I'm like, then I realized they definitely don't know real estate. Uh, I think now they seem to know it. And in part, maybe because of this show, maybe because there's, <laughs> there's more, um, you know, there's more transparency everywhere. Right. And, and, and for things with, and you going out and speaking and let them know more about real estate. I think uh, that's all been helpful. I think it's a, thank you. And I, and I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have seen some banks that have really, you know, heightened their game in the commercial real estate space. And, and really it should, because I mean, com commercial real estate is a capital intensive asset. It's in the sweet spot for banks. And really you should know it inside and out before, you know, advancing, you know, you know, 50% or 75% on, on that asset, which, you know, usually runs into the millions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good point. Brian, thank you for joining us. Good information as usual. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate being here. Yes. And thank you for joining us. We appreciate you sharing the show and your comments. Let us know what you think and be sure and join us next week. Until then, make sure you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, BOMI.org, Property and Facility Management Education, Real Crowd, Crowdfunding with Professionals, The News Funnel, Real Estate News Personalized, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, Video Training from Michael Bull. To access these great companies or for more videos, podcasts, and articles, visit CREshow.com.